Welcome to Square One, powered by FinTech TV. Today, we talked about the messy world of healthcare. Over the last 20 years, hospital services have become more expensive by over 200% in the United States. An oddity of sorts, given that most costs have actually gone down. Technology comes in, unleashes innovation, and has a deflationary effect on price. This has been the experience for most industries, but healthcare has been the opposite. It's complex from a regulatory perspective and an operational perspective. I'm always inspired by founders taking on healthcare, and this week was glad to chat with Michelle Davey of Wheel. Michelle has raised over $70 million to empower better patient outcomes and create tools for healthcare workers. In this discussion, we talked about the challenges of building in healthcare, where the opportunities sit, and how to build a hyper-growth company. Michelle, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, Michelle, excited to have you on today. We're going to go pretty deep into healthcare and, and your journey in building Wheel. Uh, but I want to first start off with something a bit more personal, um, your experience from a young age with our healthcare system and, and how it shaped your perspective on the system. Yeah, so my journey in healthcare actually started as early as my childhood. I grew up in a rural part of Texas. And with that, uh, growing up in rural communities is great for many things. One of the things that it is not great for is healthcare access. And I was sick from a really early age. And I remember my journey starting even from uh, you know age seven all the way up into my 20s and really shuttling between doctor's offices. My parents were driving me hours away to see a specialist. And ultimately I went undiagnosed with an autoimmune condition for over 15 years. So my founding story is unlike many uh, why I came to healthcare, but it also really meshed with my professional background. So I started my career in healthcare, trying to solve and innovate healthcare. Um, and after three years in the space, working for large medical device companies, uh, quite frankly, I swore it off. As a 23-year-old, stapling papers and faxing papers didn't really seem like innovation for me. So I jumped headfirst into tech, where I cut my teeth in recruiting at Google, and I fell in love with connecting people to careers that fulfilled their personal mission. And I did that for over two years. After that, like many people in big tech, I jumped to a startup to uh, essentially build something. I'm, I'm a big builder. Uh, I love to build. And this is where uh, I fell in love with kind of the future of work. So this was an on-demand delivery company where we scaled our services up to 45,000 independent contractors across many different consumers and states. Um, so spend about two years in the startup world doing that. Um, and after the acquisition of that company, I ended up finding telemedicine. And for me, telemedicine, while in 2016, probably less obvious to many, it was obvious to me that this is the way healthcare should work. I could see a doctor when I needed it, where I needed it. Um, and I jumped headfirst into that. And as I started to build in telehealth, I quickly realized how important the clinical workforce was to uh, scaling this. I was trying to build my own clinician network and humbled my healthcare. I'd, I'd hired tens of thousands of people outside of healthcare. And quite frankly, I, I was uh, pretty cocky. I was like, I have hired these people. I can hire in healthcare and quickly found out how hard it really is. And once I started to talk to other people in the industry, what I realized was it wasn't just my problem. My peers in this space were facing the same problem. 
not only finding the clinicians, but enabling them to work in an entirely different way was really what was stunting the scalability of telemedicine. And once I found that, it was a light bulb moment for me. Um, I jumped ship um, with my co-founder, who's a health regulatory lawyer, to start Wheel in January of 2018. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll jump into wheel in the business a lot more specifically. I, before we do that, I want to, I want to just set the context or the stage for, for folks that are listening. You know, we kind of look at this from a pure economic view. There's, there's this famous consumer price graph that charts out, you know, how much appreciation or depreciation there's been in price of, of select consumer goods, services, et cetera. You know, most software has gotten like 50 to hundred percent more affordable over the last 20 years, as you'd imagine, it's, it's highly deflationary. Um, hospital services, education and construction are the opposite side of that graph, but hospital services specifically are up, I think, over 200% in the last 20 years, and they've grown the most of any item in the chart, which is always interesting or funny to me, kind of reflecting back on what you just said about telemedicine, because, you know, quality of care is not going up, but cost of care is becoming astronomical, right? Give us a little bit more perspective just on what's going on in healthcare. Why, why is that, you know, why is that that case in hospitals on, you know, that side of the price chart? It's no secret that healthcare is incredibly expensive in this country. In fact, medical expenses is the number one reason for bankruptcy in this country. But as you mentioned, software was really what's powered innovation and driven down the cost in many different areas. And in healthcare, it's not hard to find uh, many different manual processes in healthcare. It's really easy to see where software hasn't yet solved the problem. We're really in the early innings of disrupting healthcare at scale with software. It's, it's really about kind of the first iteration of disrupting healthcare with software was really just bringing a broken system online. But what we didn't step back and think about was in replicating the in-person visit and telehealth and bringing it online, not many people were that happy with the in-person visit. There wasn't cost transparency. Uh, stakeholders like clinicians were completely burned out. Patients themselves were avoiding care because of the cost. And so this idea of just kind of replicated it, replicating the broken system and bringing it online was really not innovation. And so what I think now we, we've realized that and we're in the kind of transformative stages of applying software broadly across healthcare in many different ways. And because of that, we'll see more cost transparency. And hopefully, I, I'm hopeful in the next 10 years and, and even bullish that we'll really be able to reduce the cost of medical expenses in this country. How do you think about building a business in this space kind of outside in versus inside out? And what I mean by that is, you know, when you look at kind of inside out, like most people that have been inside the system for a really long time, um, they're, they're pretty cynical, right? Like I think when Amazon decided to enter into primary care, you know, Amwell CEO, you know, not to pick on Amwell, but it, this is indicative of kind of many companies said something along the lines of welcome to the swamp, right? Like it was a really sobering soundbite of sorts. How do, how do you think of, you've obviously had experience, you know, with the, with the healthcare system at, at med device companies and obviously your personal journey, but how do you think about that? Just kind of building a business. I'd put you more in that kind of outside in bucket, right? Versus mm -hmm. the inside out bucket. Firstly, I tip my hat to Amwell. They've been 
fighting really tough battles for over 15 years. So I think just that groundwork that they've laid there. But what I heard when I read that quote was fixing our broken healthcare system was a lost cause. It's too hard, too complicated. And quite frankly, if you've never done it before, you're going to fail. And as someone who has been wronged by the system over half of my life, you think I'd apply that same cynical view. But in fact, it actually empowers me to say, actually, no, there needs to be innovation here. We need to see people who have applied innovation in other industries come into healthcare. And I'm a firm believer that more companies in this space applying innovation is actually what's going to drive innovative outcomes for patients and really that consumer-driven healthcare experience that we all have been talking about. But now we're going to see it at application because we're seeing people come into the space. But for me, healthcare is not a swamp. It may be complicated, may be regulated, but it is a real opportunity to impact patient lives and apply technology in a way that we really can change the status quo of our healthcare overall. So let's let's talk about the outcomes piece and specifically it relates to, to what you're building at and we all I think I'm I'm a strong believer that to disrupt a market where there are regulatory incentives in play, you, you have to think outside the box to survive as a startup, right? Like you have none of the advantages of traditional incumbents. Um, and so you have to change the game. You have to change the game yep. and the rules of the game, right? Um, and one of the things I think startups, especially in healthcare, can really latch on to is what you just said, which is driving customer outcomes. Like nobody's happy with healthcare outcomes, right? Like no. it's it's not a secret. Your experience, unfortunately, is more actually reminiscent of what a lot of people in this country face, you know, with the system. You went through a couple iterations at Wheel, um, and you alluded to, you know, to a bit of it earlier in, in the discussion. Just tell us a little bit more about the state of the company today, right? And then probably more interestingly, what were the insights that led you to be confident that the current solution or the current iteration was really the one to double down on? When we first started Wheel, we were matching clinicians to companies and kind of being that first kind of match and then stepping out of the picture. Uh, while that worked really well in some ways, we heard from both our clinicians and our clients, they wanted us to do a little bit more. So from clinicians, we heard, hey, can you help me with training and education? Um, and with clients, we heard, well, we want one company to go to. Right now, we're having to shuttle between you know, finding the clinician to a credentialing company to licensure and applying this or helping solve this complex rubrics cube of on-demand nationwide care that's regulatory compliant. And so for us, we just listen to the customers. We listen to our clinicians. We listen to the clients and we saw ahead of where the industry was. And I think that's a really important piece because of where where we'll sit behind the scenes, we broadly get to see what's happening, where people are planning. Um, and that's helped enable us to really double down and drive towards building Wheel now. And Wheel is just that. It's everything that clinicians and companies need to deliver care virtually. And under that, there's a lot of complexity 
but it's really for us, that's the mission that drives us is to make that more simple for clinicians to have one place to be their home, to manage their entire virtual care practice, and for clients to come in and seamlessly be able to launch really innovative nationwide care models. And that's what we're building today. Yep. And, and you guys have raised a good amount of money, right? I think, I think close to about $70 million or so. I, I always find that interesting because like growing, especially with speed in healthcare is tough. Right? You can't run the classic software, SaaS playbook, et cetera. In, in fact, I think many healthcare startups are actually more challenging in the one to end stage than in the zero to one stage, right? Absolutely. Um, what have been the biggest learnings for you in building for growth, you know, in a highly regulated industry and talk a little bit more you know, for, for the need to raise, you know, those levels of venture capital, right. And, and how you guys are applying them and building the business. I think first and foremost, the thing I learned really, really early is to be clear and honest about what my expertise is in and what it is that I don't know. So to that point, regulations in healthcare are complex and the hurdles are completely unparalleled to any other industry. And there's real consequences if you're a bad actor in it or if a patient outcome is negative. Again, these are patient lives at stake and we really need to make sure that we're delivering compliant care across the board. Um, so I focused early on in finding partners, whether that's advisors, investors, colleagues, and friends who understand different parts of healthcare. It's so broad that having an expert in one space or another really enables me to go deep in an area and apply change at a different rate. Because I'm not going to know everything. Um, it's going to be really important to lean on that network and find those people. So in the regulation space in particular, for us, it was really important to not only have a seat at the table for our regulatory partners. So as I mentioned, my co-founder is a health regulatory lawyer. So that was ingrained in the business very, very early, from the earliest stages of the company, from the earliest stages of the idea. But what we also needed was that attention at the board level and at the investment level. And that's where we took on Test Ventures, who really helped us kind of unlock some of that at an investor level and really help us understand, you know, what are the regulations that exist today? Where do we believe they're going to go and what's going to change? And quite frankly, what's probably not going to change and how do we maneuver within those? Yep. One of, one of the things I, I find really interesting about your business, and again, this is kind of outside and from my perspective, there's, there's the layers you're innovating on, you know, in terms of how you interact with uh, regulators, so on and so forth. And then there's kind of like the product level of innovation, right? So I think of it, and I'd love for you to correct me if, if I'm thinking about it the wrong <laughs> way. I think about it almost as like two layers of innovation, right? So one is individual pieces, improving them. Uh, but then the second is, how do you actually put those pieces together, right? And we'll, we'll get to kind of that latter piece in a second, but let's start with the former. And I think a perfect example is actually what you mentioned earlier, which is telehealth. There's this 1.0 kind of telehealth, which is you take the exact same physical experience and you just move it online, right? But then I think the more interesting one and the one you guys are really kind of carving into is the 2.01, which you just really actually just reimagined the experience from the ground up, right? Maybe we can use telehealth as an example. We can use something else as an example, but I'm interested in getting your thoughts just kind of in healthcare of how do you think about that 2.0 innovation, which is really 
not just taking kind of A to B, but really saying, okay, if we're in B and we think about it from first principles, you know, what are the actual possibilities? How, how do you think about that? Telehealth is actually a great example. Telehealth 1.0, as I mentioned, was really just bringing a broken system online. It wasn't working for most of the stakeholders in the beginning. And so when we looked at Telehealth 1.0, we realized it wasn't personalized to the patients or the clinicians. We're essentially just queuing up the next available provider uh, and kind of connecting the patient and provider in, in you know, uh, 30 minutes to an hour and sometimes days. In 2.0, we really have the opportunity to ensure patients get the right care for their care needs. So at Wheel, we match patients on over a dozen different attributes to the right clinician for their care needs. So for instance, we have clients who, uh, who have patients who are LGBTQ. What we do is match that patient to the clinician who's trained in queer competent care. So now you can imagine from the, the patient side how that drives better outcomes, better patient experiences, but then think about it from the clinician perspective. You're seeing a diverse population and really helping solve a lot of uh, care needs for different populations. And that's what's really fulfilling to clinicians. And we have a tagline here, uh, that we say happy clinicians make healthy patients. And that is really important to us is to really change the narrative for clinicians so that they can enjoy their career and enjoy enabling care at a whole different level. And I think that's what really makes us different is our incredible focus on the clinician and the workforce that's needed to power that innovation. I love that phrase. We have something in our company we, we call, you know, happy employees means happy customers. And it's, it's just a basic saying, but it's, it taps into that same kind of emotion or core, which is if you have a great environment, whether it's, you know, internally to externally, whatever it might be, it translates, right? It, it, Absolutely. it translates, it drives better outcomes, whether it's for clients, whether it's for customers, kind of whatever that might mean. Um, and I think that actually, that's the framework in which it was interesting. I was reading the other day that telehealth adoption rates are actually now declining. But I think based on the way you framed it, to me, that's that speaks probably less about telehealth itself. And it probably is more that that 1.0 model just isn't meeting consumer needs. Is, is that the right kind of interpretation to draw from that? I think that's definitely one of the areas. So 1.0 pre-pandemic was predominantly episodic, low acuity care. And yeah. we can treat a lot of things in that. But what I'm most encouraged by, again, because of where we sit, we see the amount of innovation coming towards longitudinal care models, different disease states, really the ability to start looking holistically at a patient's care journey at different touch points in their life. And how could we do that virtually? So I think we're still very much in the early innings, but I'm encouraged by what we're seeing this early on and the amount of innovation coming there. I think the other thing is it's important, you know, people judge how healthcare is doing right now and headlines, which is, is good, but it's important to take a step back and see what's happening at scale. It's no longer about telehealth or in-person. It's really about what is the right care modality for that patient at that time. So it's more of an and, telehealth and. And I hope, and I'm even 
um, pretty bullish that in the next five years, we're not going to just call it telehealth or virtual care and in-person care. It's just care. And we're just taking care of the patients that need it when they need it most. Un unpack that a little bit more. So what are the other individual components? Like what are examples of other individual components you're innovating on? And, and that might be reframing the conversation, reframing it as we think of it as telehealth today and all these other things. It might be reframing it like you're saying, which is it's just care and there's kind of all the components fall underneath. But talk a little bit more maybe in 2021 terms of other things that are going on, you know, that you guys are innovating on today. So there's definitely just reframing the conversation and starting to look high level at what all needs to go into these different pathways of care. But I've heard from many people that Wheel is building five healthcare companies in one, and I actually embrace that. There's very few areas when it comes to the clinical infrastructure and the clinician services that we're not innovating on. Um, we are trying to look at where are the biggest areas, where are the biggest gaps in healthcare? How can we innovate on that to deliver that care, not just virtually, but how do we enable that really high quality care, regardless of where the patient's at. So some of the examples that I'll use from WEAL, I think first and foremost, it's moving from that telehealth to virtual care. So pre-pandemic, we really saw telehealth and there's still a look at telehealth as really being this front door, a way to diagnose a patient and kind of move on from there. But in virtual care, there's many more elements, everything from lab services, um, both virtually and in person and into the home. There's remote patient monitoring that can enable chronic disease states and monitoring over time. There's e-pharmacy that is incredibly important so we can get any type of treatment to the patients where they're at. Um, and so for us, we're really innovating all of those different parts and bringing them together all under one roof. I think the other part, again, is really building for the clinician and the clinician workforce that is powering all of this and all of those different touch points. So because we don't have a patient front door, we're really concentrating all of our resources and time on how we build for the clinicians, what their experiences in this new world that's likely going to be hybrid from virtual to in-person, how do we enable them to have all the tools at their fingertips to seamlessly treat a patient where they're at? And that's really, I believe, where we do the best job of innovating is really for the clinician. Yeah, so the putting the pieces together part of the model is really interesting. Um, unlike many others in the space, you're not kind of one business. Um, you know, you said it's five. I thought of two, but I want to hear the other three. You're not a clean marketplace. You're not a clean software business. You're obviously both. I think the more you were talking about e-pharmacy, in my mind, you become kind of a supply chain and a logistics business as well, right? Um, so you, you know, you build software for your clients. You connect them to clinicians and vice versa. Uh, complementary models, right, in terms of kind of the core outcome that you're driving and the core relationship you're driving, but they're fundamentally different businesses, right? They're fundamentally different business models. Um, so talk to us just a little bit more about how do you think about building, you know, those five businesses in healthcare at one time? There's a lot of, I imagine, you know, when you actually get in the weeds in the day-to-day, -day, conceptually it all makes sense, right? But when you get in the weeds, it's really complicated, right? There's a lot of tensions that are kind of pushing and pulling 
of are you building a SaaS product? Are you building a marketplace product? Do you, you know, hook into a partner for logistics or you're, you know, building your own 3PL or logistics and shipping, et cetera. Yeah. So talk a little bit more maybe about those kind of five businesses, like what are those as a framing, but then just the complexity and the tension, you know, and how you think about as a founder and a CEO, you know, how to prioritize, what to build um, and, and um, you know, building the, the different pieces of the toolkit. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different pieces and the five that I think about the most. So we are a labor marketplace. We have clinicians who are working every single day. Uh, we have a what are called workforce management in healthcare. So clinician credentialing, licensure. We're an ed tech company because we educate and upskill all of our clinicians. We're a care delivery company, which is incredibly complex already. And then we're a software company. And that software is what connects all of those together. So at the highest level, it comes down to innovation in healthcare and the workforce that powers it. To me, those two aren't mutually exclusive. They have to come together to really scale the innovation needed and necessary in healthcare. And so when we first started, a lot of people were building their stacks vertically, um, every single part of the puzzle all the way up. What we thought was, well, that caused more fragmentation for both patients and clinicians. So we're going to build that horizontal layer. For us, that enables companies to plug into us, get access to software and the clinician services behind the scenes to deliver that care nationwide in weeks versus trying to build that full stack in years. I think, again, prioritization is key here. We have a lot of core values. The one that my team uh, hears the most is high velocity and high velocity here at Wheel isn't just speed, it's about a bias towards action. When we see a problem, we rush in to solve it and really unlock that. That may be that we have to build something because it doesn't exist in the market. But what I'm also really excited is, uh, I have a lot of great peers in this industry building parts of that stack that now through APIs and partnerships, I can plug into and help them service more patients as well, but it really kind of completes that stack for real and allows us to, again, get back to how do we deliver the best care with the best clinician wherever the patient's at? Yeah, I like that. I like that North Star and actually framing of, of how you think about all the different component parts, because then what the interesting piece I think becomes when you're looking at different elements of that stack is you can kind of internally ask the question, is it, is it about building it? Is it about you know, partnering on it, or is it about buying it, right, via M&A? Exactly. Um, you can kind of augment and figure out, you know, what's the best delivery mechanism or delivery model for you guys to keep at that same, you know, core metric, which is empowering kind of workers in healthcare and empowering empowering outcomes. I want to I wanna take that, um, you know, kind of idea and stretch it a little bit more, more so to the care side and more, to, more so to the customer side. I know a part of the core mission at, at Wheel is democratizing access to care. I think we often shortchange this discussion by solely focusing on geographic or socioeconomic barriers. Um, I'm curious how you, Michelle, think about access to care and, and from your perspective, you know, how would you unpack that issue and maybe what are the levers, right, to really make progress on that idea of democratizing access to care? So I think in healthcare, when we talk about access, we typically think about geographic access 
access and socioeconomic access. And while those are both really, really important, we here at Wheel believe there's a third leg of the stool and just as important. It's really about finding the best clinician for the care needs of the patient. So how are we unlocking not only the care from a cost perspective and a geographic perspective, but how are we unlocking the right clinician for the patient in their time of care need? And for us, that's incredibly important. As I mentioned at the very start of this, it is a very personal mission for me. Um, it's something that is uh, ingrained into who I am. I've, I've grown up that way. And quite frankly, you won't find a founder who's more invested in fixing it than one who's been wronged by the system. But I think why that's important broadly is more visits are starting virtually than ever. It used to be that most visits started in a in-person visit with your PCP. They care navigated you. Maybe you got access to a portal and then you started to interact with your doctors. Uh, but what we're seeing now in light of the pandemic and light of this adoption, both from patients and clinicians, is that a lot of the visits, actually 30 times the amount of visits are starting virtual first. And what may happen now is, you know, the reframing of a good outcome for virtual care. A good outcome is not just a diagnosis. It may be care navigation to the right provider. It may be treatment. It may be saying, actually, you do need to go in person. It may just be a widespread view of what is a good outcome. And I think reframing that is really important because so much care is going to start online for the first time in a really long time. Absolutely. Michelle, as we as we round out the conversation and, and you know, a bit on a lighter note, uh, you guys recently uh, raised about 50 million uh, in, a, in a round. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, you guys have raised, I think, somewhere around, you know, 70 million or so. Astonishing for a company that's only three years old. Uh, yeah. and, and so congratulations, you know, but very you. fitting, you know, for some of your incredibly impressive metrics, right? You guys are growing the business. 300% year over year, you know, you're growing your clinician network ecosystem, I think four or five X year over year. Um, and all while maintaining a really, really high clinician retention rate. So people are clearly, I love that. And I frame that for the audience because it's not just talking about kind of the academia or the concept, but you guys are, you know, and, and it's not just also about raising a ton of money. You guys are raising that on the backs of actually proven outcomes so far. Um, and it gets my mind really working as to, you know, what's on the horizon for the business? How are you going to put the capital to work? Kind of what are the next, you know, obstacles to kind of tackle on so much accomplished in just three years, but obviously this is a, this is a decade plus, you know, journey in the making. So how are you thinking about that round? How are you thinking about, you know, what's, what's next for the business? Yes, this is a decade long mission and, and probably longer. I think we'll always need to bring innovation to healthcare. There's no real stopping point for real. Um, and I think to put into context, when we started and uh, raised our Series A um, and the pandemic hit in March of 2020, we were 15 people. We, over the term of a year, have scaled to over 130 people, and we'll continue to uh, use some of the resources from the fundraise to continue to grow that, again, on the back of outcomes, on the back of growth and our ability to 
enable more patient care across many different broad sectors. So growing the employee base is really important. People who are super passionate about changing healthcare and aligning to our mission. We'll also work with more clients and companies, again, going back to that, that growth state. Telehealth is table stakes now. So many companies are looking, it used to just be healthcare companies, and now we're seeing many different types of companies coming and seeing an application for telehealth and virtual care in their models. So we will help grow that part out and drive innovation in the space. And lastly, again, a really important part for us is really investing in the clinician experience from a software perspective and also the support that wraps around that. So that training and education is incredibly important. And that is something that we are really excited to continue to invest in. Well, this is awesome, Michelle. I, I so appreciate you taking the time to, to share your perspectives on, on what's going on in the healthcare system and, and really how, you know, when you think about it outside in, you know, where do the possibilities sit? So, you know, excited to continue to, to follow the journey of WHEEL and, and thanks again for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much. It was a great conversation.